The onset of pain, the discomfort. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus works in technology. The onset of pain, discomfort while accepting the situation is usually accompanied by anger, disbelief, grief, guilt, then bargaining, or even worse, indifference and apathy, which I, I heard Mark touch on a little bit. We figure that God wants us to learn from this. That's some bad theology. And, even, and, and, and it's even if we acknowledge him at all in our situations. You know, there are many things in this lifetime we will have to live with because it's part of the fallen condition of this world. That's just a given. There's many things in this lifetime that we're going to have to live with because it's part of the fallen condition of this world and everything in it. However, there are just as many things that we've accepted to live with that God would more than happily bring healing, bring deliverance, and bring victory. Yet we accept. We accept the current condition of our lives as if that's the will of God. We accept, and, and in that acceptance, we're inclined to receive it. We willingly regard this thing, these situations. It means that we give admittance to those things into our lives. Well, this is just what's going on, so I have to accept it. We give approval. We endure without protest and eventually regard these situations of life as normal, our present circumstances. And when we do this in our lives, we diminish the power of our witness of the authority of God. Think about that. When we're walking out in acceptance, when we're making this this excuse that this is just the present condition, this is just what God has for me right now, that he wants us to live in defeat, that he wants us to live in this manner, right? Our witness to other people is basically saying, you know what, the authority of God has put me in this situation and I'm, um, <laughs> I put it down like this, it's like, are you guys into hashtags at all? Okay, some of the older people are like, I don't know, but it's like, you know, it's like hashtag I'm going through a trial, you know, when I first got saved, when I first realized who Jesus was, let me use some non-Christianese, right? When I first realized who Jesus was and what he wanted for my life, there was always this, this group of, or this, this kind of person in the church, and it was called Brother, Brother Bless Me, right? Every time you talked to him, everything was great. How you doing, Brother? Blessed. Blessed. It's like you're full of crap. <laughs> Two times. I just heard you on the phone whining about your life. You're locked down for a year in this program. Your girlfriend's cheating on you. Your rent's due, all this stuff. Tell me how you're blessed in that situation, man, when all you do is complain behind closed doors, but in the face of everybody else, oh, everything's going good, brother. I'm doing good. I think what's worse than brother blessings is, is the brother cursed. How you doing, brother? Oh, I'm going through a trial right now, brother. <laughs> Maybe you don't know people like this, man. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you've never met somebody like this if you haven't. Brother, how you doing? God's testing me, brother. I'm in the fire. Shut up. <laughs> you enjoy being there, man, or you enjoy the presence of God putting you through something in your own strength? You know how sickening that is? Oh, brother, I got a cross to bear. You have no idea. <laughs> you know, and it sounds like I'm mocking these people, but seriously, man, let's, let's call it for what it is. There's this issue of what we do on our own strength. It's when we have enough, you know, enough will to want to fight through something we don't want to accept. And I saw Mark go through that. 
I'm going to talk a little bit more about that as I keep going. But, and, and I've done it in my life, and I know that you've all done it in your lives, where it's like, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to accept this. And your own will and your own stubbornness and your own ability and your own estimation of yourself, you decide to fight through it. And what happens when you fight through in your own strength and you, and you succeed? Then you celebrate yourself. Nobody fights through something on their own strength and then gives the glory to someone else, right? That's just stupid. I did it. Why am I going to thank you for doing something I did? Or it's even worse than that is when we fight in our own strength and our own estimation of ourselves, and then we, we fail, then we end up just accepting anyways. We end up just saying, well, it's just something that I'm going to have to endure. So I started thinking about that. Who do we celebrate when we accept these failures in life? And who do we celebrate when we are the strength? In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, I'm reading out of the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Um, the Word of God says this. It says, He, Jesus, also told this parable to who trusted in themselves, some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple complex to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. The Pharisee took his stand and was praying like this, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice, twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest saying, God, turn your wrath away from me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to the house justified rather than the other, because the one who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let me pray for us real quick. God, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to share what you've placed on my heart. God, the privilege of being able to, um, to speak about you um, this imperfect vessel trying to speak about something perfect, God, this, um, this finite being speaking about the infinite, God, I just pray that um, this is not about me, God. Um, who I am and what I do give no validity to your words, God. Your word is, is truth. It guides us, God. It encourages us. It corrects us. Um, it brings us to a better understanding of who you are, God. So I pray that um, you start to break down those walls, God. You start to break down those facades, uh, but even deeper than that, God, I pray that you would start to break down those hurts, um, the pains that we have, the disappointment that we have in you, which um, I've struggled with from time to time, the inability to hope in, in who you are and what you're doing, God, the inability to trust. I pray that you would just begin to work in our hearts as we begin to examine your word um, for a short time. But God, this, that this time will not be in vain, God, that it would wreck our lives uh, for as long as you give us. So, Father, continue to bless us. Continue to allow this time of worship to be honoring to you, God, and um, doing us what you, would, um, what you would desire to do, God. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Jesus is telling this parable, um, which essentially is a truth alongside a truth. That's what I love about G's, man. I, I call him G's because we're cool, right? <laughs> So Jesus is, is just kicking back in his element, you know, doing what he does, hanging out with a group of people that are screwed up, 
which is great because even the people that thought that they had it going on, man, Jesus is just checking them right and left, right? Jesus is telling this parable to this group of people that reflect the Pharisee in the story. You know, can you imagine that? Like, I, I hate when I'm sitting there and, like, you kind of kind of catch the drift of when somebody's being sarcastic, and you know they're being sarcastic, and it's directed totally towards you, right? You imagine these guys who are huddled around Jesus, and they're, like, they're digging on his words. They're hearing everything he's saying, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, dang, that's me, you know? And I think that was, like, one of these aha moments. He says, you know what, man, let me, let me tell you a simple truth here. There's people that trust in their own righteousness and look down upon everyone else. And they're probably, yeah, yeah, I hate those people. And it's like, yeah, then you hate yourself. <laughs> you know, there's people that, you know, they, they have, they trust in this estimation of themselves and they're self-centered. And Luke reveals in his first statement that he's talking to some of these people that trusted in themselves. They lived a life of comparison of others and to others. They gained confidence from that action. At least I'm not that guy. And I think we're all guilty of that. They look down on everyone else. It doesn't say some, it says everyone. So in a sense, they had exalted themselves to a point of worship. Nobody else is as good as me, so everyone needs to look up to me. If everybody's looking up to me, then I'm perfect. Therefore, I'm worthy of their worship or adoration. This idea of self-adulation, this worship, in this, you set yourself up to be worshiped. The story, the context is Jesus in chapter 17 is, is laying down some roots for this. He's talking about warnings. He's talking about faith and duty. He's talking about 10 men that got healed, and then he's talking about the kingdom of God. Not in the sense that we're waiting for this glorious moment to come in, but ushering it in every single day which I think is a huge point that we miss. We're waiting for this moment that the sky is going to crack open and Jesus is going to come riding in on a horse and everything's supposed to get better when we are the visible expression of Jesus Christ and we carry the Holy Spirit inside of us. We should be ushering in the kingdom of heaven every single day. And Jesus is talking about warnings. He's talking about this, this time of repentance. Jesus is talking about faith and duty, talking about believing in the impossible, not just accepting that something's not going to happen, but believing that the impossible is going to become um, reality. It talks about these 10 men, the one to 10 ratio, doing miracles in 10 men's lives and saying only one came back and gave thanks for it. I started thinking about how many miracles have been done inside of here that you've just, you're, you're self-glorifying. You're celebrating yourself because, again, in your own estimation and in your, in, in your own resources, you have nobody else to thank but yourself. But we got one man that realized that it wasn't him, that it was God. Again, this idea of the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says himself, letters in red, he says, whoever tries to make his life secure will lose it. And ever, whoever loses his life will preserve it. It's just something that doesn't line up with this American lifestyle. Prior to this parable, Jesus was talking about a life of communion with God. I think we got it screwed up. I really think that I have it screwed up. I know that when, you know, we got these two men that are praying, and I know that I'm, I'm probably more like the Pharisee, even though I'm, I'm definitely the tax collector. But I realize that when I pray, I'm, I'm trying to follow a model to get what I want from God. It doesn't matter how I start. It doesn't matter if I start in anger. It doesn't matter if I start in, in petition, manipulation, whatever the case may be. The end result is that I'm going to speak to God in a manner 
so that he does what I want. And that's not a relationship. Oh, Father, who art in heaven. And I'm like, no, that doesn't sound right. Scratch that. Hey, God, what's up? Hey, bro. God, about that thing I asked you about. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I, I don't know a right or wrong way to do it, but I know that we have an example right here. This idea of this lack of reverence in the body of Christ today is just is, is saddening. This Jesus is my homeboy theology is sickening. Ultimately, yeah, we do petition God because we want something, but it should be out of, out of adoration. It should be out of, out of love, not out of the response to a need. And we got these two different men that go up to the altar in this you got to understand that this is the temple. Um, they're, they're meeting in the temple complex. So in their mind, um, in, in their time, this is where the Spirit of God rested. So they, they made a pilgrimage. They made a trip to this place for one reason and one reason only, to have a conversation with God, to have communion with him. And one man approaches the front and automatically just boldly begins to talk about how great he is with the lesser man behind him. I thought that was pretty interesting. He's like, I'm not like the other people. The audacity to say that while the other person was in the room right behind him. He says, I'm neither like any of these people, outwardly or inwardly. How many times have we petitioned to God and said, man, I'm just, in a sense, we're saying I'm not as bad as that other person. He says, I'm not greedy. I'm not unrighteous. I'm not an adulterer like this tax collector. In fact, I, I give. I, I fast two times a week. I deny this flesh so that I can be closer to you. And in the end, I give a tenth of everything. And Mark said it perfect, but the other 90% is mine. So I give you just what's yours, God, and, then I, and the rest is mine. But then there's this tax collector that has the inability to even raise his eyes to look up. This action of humility um, is just kind of reminiscent of how I heard what Mark was going through during the process in March and very reminiscent of my story of being in a situation where I was like, I didn't even have the words. This man, he couldn't, he couldn't even look up to where he knew God was at. Striking his chest, making a declaration, standing before God, I'm a sinner. I'm a failure. I have a bad mouth, I have a bad attitude, I disbelief, I lie, I cheat, I steal, all this stuff. Just the moment where he was honest with God, there was no manipulation. There was no agenda. The only thing he wanted was, do me a favor, God, just turn your wrath away from me. I know how screwed up I am, and I know how much I deserve to be punished. Look away from me. And imagine just hearing from across the room, man, I, I could just see. I I've constantly find myself in situations where I feel like I'm the man in the back of the room and I'm watching those other people talk about how much they love God and all they're doing is just self-celebrating themselves. And I feel like, man, maybe that's the way I need to be. And Jesus says what he's been saying to these people all along, you know, the justification comes from a posture that reflects worship. Worship of God and not of oneself. The self-exalted is humbled and the humbled is exalted. And there's a difference in that. 
It almost looks like it'll follow the pattern. Well, if I just go up and self-exalt myself, then God's going to humble me. And if I'm humbled, I'm going to get exactly what I want. No, it's two different things. To kind of revisit verse 9 and to kind of just hit home on everything I'm trying to talk about is we rarely ever approach God in the right standing. There's always an agenda. Seriously, when's the last time that you just, you thank God without treating it like you were putting another coin in the bank towards something you were going to ask him for? I can't remember the last time I did. Every act of prayer that I've had for the longest time has been agenda-driven. That's why this portion of Scripture is so convicting for me and why it's so hard to stand up here and to try to teach from it. I guess the question today is like, where are we standing with God? Where is our standing? Is, is that, that bold, arrogant posture saying, hey, at least I'm not as screwed up as Gabe. <laughs> at least I'm not as screwed up as Randy. At least I'm just going to point out people I know that are messed up. <laughs> God, at least I'm not as screwed up as Ann. Hi, Ann. I saw you there. I thought the church was going to fall down. Um, Arrogantly and, and this boldly, boldness, blindly exalting ourselves as we go before the throne of God. And I started thinking about every other relationship. And I don't know, I don't know how many times I've shared this, but I thought it was, thought it was really cool. Like when I, met, uh, when I met Randy, I had no idea who he was. <laughs> Even though we had been praying for him for a long time, there's a lot of stuff going on in his life. And, and, uh, I met him outside of Ryan's house in the backyard, and, and it was super cold outside, but I honestly didn't want to be inside because I really didn't know people too much, and I just wanted to drink a couple of beers. And I'm standing out back, and I end up kicking it with him, and it was like, my wife comes out, and she's like, oh, you met Randy, and I was like, oh, dang, you're Randy. You know what I mean? But there was like, there was no agenda in our relationship. And I started thinking about it, like, if I, if I really knew what was going on in his life, and, you know, I probably would have had this agenda, if I would have treated him like the way I've been treating God for so long, man, we probably wouldn't be the friends that we are right now. But I still go back to God, and I still treat God the same way. And I still expect the same thing. It's insanity. Instead of coming humbled, broken, this physical expression of just being helpless in my own strength, I have nothing else left to do but to beat on my chest. And I'm unable to face him. So again, the question is, who are you celebrating each day? I hear many people say that they want to get closer in communion with God, yet refuse to stop throwing a party for themselves. Hey, you're great. You're a great person. I like you. We get along all right. You're cool, whatever. We have too many people that are competent in this life and feel that because they've been able to navigate their short existence on this planet, that they do not need God. But what happens when you do? What happens when your competence, what happens when your abilities, your intuition, your money, your strength, your health, your beauty, your image, what happens when all those things are not enough? I guess the even deeper question to end would be, what is it going to take for God to rock you into your given call? Why does it have to be something like that? Why does it have to be a miracle story for you? Why does it have to get so bad 
that you have to cry out to God and beg him to do this miracle in your life before you'll finally see that he has the authority, that he has the power, that he has the strength, that he has the ability. Screw that, that he's, he's worthy of the praise before he's even done anything for you because he's already done everything for you. Church, we try to invite people in and try to tell them about how great this community is. But honestly, man, when people come in from the outside, all they're seeing is a bunch of people that are celebrating themselves. We got the words right. We got the actions right. We got the dress right. We got the behavior right. But all we're doing is celebrating ourselves. We're nothing more than that man that's hit the front of the line trying to get as close as he can to God just so he can get his little funky spiritual tank filled up and talk about all the good things he's done and all the things he hasn't done instead of approaching God in a posture of reverence and stating, you know what, I don't deserve anything that you've given me already, let alone the petition I want to lay before you today. God, I just pray that that I was able to do you some honor. God, I just pray that, that you're speaking to somebody in this room, God. I pray that you're calling us out of this self-celebration, God, and into, um, into a true worship of who you are. God, I pray that you would call us to live as you've, as you've created us, God, and not have to wait for those trials and those tests and those things. Um, God, for you to bring us victory in those areas before we start to praise you, God, because I think that as we start to praise you, those bondages, those chains are going to fall off anyways. We don't have to wait for things to get so bad before we finally ask you to take care of it, God. You'll take care of it right now. I believe, again, that we're living with a lot of things in our lives and we're considering them a self-sacrifice to you because of the, the pain and the inconvenience that we're going through, God. And you're, you're shaking your head and you're like, you know what, but I'd gladly take that away from you. I would gladly free you from that so you can truly experience how much I love you. You don't have to go a lifetime with that fetter. You don't have to go a lifetime with that chain, that bondage, that pain. I'm here to take it away from you, but as long as you have ownership of it, as long as you've accepted it, you just make it that much harder to take it away. God, continue just to wreck us in the ways that you do. Continue to challenge us, God. Continue to handle all of our ignorance, God, all of our arrogance, all of our false and biased boldness, Jesus, thank you for wrecking yet another life. Thank you for opening the eyes of Mark. God, he was, he was an amazing man before that. I liked him. God, but it's the fact that he knows what he's been called and created to do now, God, and he's got this new life. God, thank you for that. God, thank you for the miracles in this small little church. Again, God, just, we want to worship you today. We want to thank you today with no agenda. God, we just want to love on you. Not because you loved us first, God, but because you're worthy of it. Jesus, help us as we struggle. Help us as we fail. Help us as we accept. Help us as we move forward in our own estimation, God. Be gentle as you break us. 
just continue to love us.